Welcome to LifePoint tonight. Thanks for being here for this next installment of Monsters. My name is Donnie Williams. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're here for the first time, I'd love to meet you after the service. Just come down front. A couple of us will be down there to greet you and to hear a little bit about how you found your way here to LifePoint today. When I was a little boy, I had this monster in my house. And this monster looked like a cowboy. And he stayed in the corner in my bedroom. And I would yell for my parents, and they would come in and flip on the lights, and he would leave every time. Anybody else have those kind of monsters in your house? If they were there, and then the lights come on, they're gone. You know, I have to make a confession that, that as church leaders, uh, we used to deceive you all the time. If you've been a part of our church for a few years especially, uh, we used to meet in a couple different movie theaters, uh, one that's just north of here uh, that uh, is not the cleanest inside. I mean, that's probably typical of most movie theaters, you know, sticky floors. But if you turn the lights on, like bright lights on, it was really bad. When I go to movies now there, I will not allow my head to touch the back of the seat. Anybody, can anybody relate to that? And I I definitely will never wear shorts because I'm I'm not going to let my skin touch, touch there because it's really not clean. And so we would be setting up for church and getting ready, and, and we would just say, turn the lights down really low. You thought it was for atmosphere if you were around? It, was, it had nothing to do with atmosphere. It was like, we don't want people to see how dirty this is. When it comes to our lives, all of us have something that lurks in the dark. And those are the monsters that we're dealing with in this series. And the only way to get the monsters that we're talking about out of our lives is for us to bring it out into the light. Now, for some of you, you may not, you may be thinking, well, I don't deal with really, really seriously bad stuff, but we all have something in our life. For some, it may be something as simple as fear and insecurity. And as we opened up this series last week, we made it clear that if we're going to ever experience healing from the monsters in our life, we have to understand that there is no healing in hiding. We have to bring it out into the open. And so what we're trying to do in this series is to shine some light in the areas of our lives that cause us to feel dark, that cause us to feel pain, that may cause us to make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And so we're talking about some, some pretty serious topics so much that, you know, if you're elementary or uh, middle school and up, it's okay to be in here. But if you're not, you really need to take your kids over in LifePoint Kids unless you want to have some conversations on the way home. I mean, just don't say we didn't, didn't tell you. But there's some other ways, there's some very specific ways that through this series you can get help beyond what we talk about. Life's Healing Choices, you'll hear a little bit about that. That's a great class that starts this week. You can also go to our website, lifepointchurch.com monsters and find out a little bit more about how you could take some steps to healing with the issues that we're talking about. Because one thing is for sure as we deal with monsters in our lives is that we can't get through it on our own. We all need help. And we're going to look at a person in the Old Testament that got help from God himself. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one of those. You can keep it or borrow it. You can also read along on the screen. I'll put all the scriptures up there as well. We're going to be in an Old Testament book. I'm just going to share one story from the Old Testament from the book of Genesis, chapter 16. 
The book of Genesis is where uh, we meet a lot of Bible characters, but specifically a guy named Abraham, who's also referred to as Abram, a lady named Sarah, who's also referred to as Sarai. You can use those names interchangeably. And God promised Abraham that he was going to be the father of many nations. And he said, you're going to have a child. He was 75 years old, no children. He said, you're going to have a child. And through that child, many, 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 many people. In fact, you'll have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so Abraham gets this promise. He tells his wife. And for 10 years, no baby. For 10 years, they waited. And then Sarah, his wife, comes up with a plan because an 85-year-old man, I mean, just being real, the equipment doesn't work the way it used to work. So, you know, something's got to happen. And so Sarah comes up with this plan. I know how we can make this happen. God hasn't provided, so maybe God wanted us to be a little more active in making sure this child was born. And so the story about how that happened starts in Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. Now that sounds odd. I mean, wives, you probably think, how in the world could she do that? But actually that was culturally acceptable to do that. It was never acceptable to God but it was culturally acceptable to say, you take my maid, servant, you sleep with her, you have a baby, because then the law was that baby became Abraham and Sarah's legal child. Sarah would take that child as her own. That's the way it worked. And so she says, why don't you do that? Abraham agrees, and then you can't, you just imagine. Sarah, uh, Hagar was probably younger, so just imagine the tension that might have existed in the household. And so immediately, what we would imagine starts happening, starts happening. Verse 4 says this, but when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. So Hagar, who probably felt mistreated and used and abused in the first place, she started to look at Sarah, and couldn't you, couldn't you see it in the house, like, hey, Sarah, look at this. Look what I got. Look what you can't have. And so there, a lot of tension started to come up in the house. And so what started was this monster that many of us can relate to, the monster I'm going to talk about tonight, and that is the monster of abuse. Now you may not, you may think, well, I've really never been abused in my life, and maybe you haven't. But abuse goes anywhere from words that hurt and, and maybe bullying all the way to abuse that leaves a mark on a person's soul for the rest of their life. And just to get a definition of abuse, it's this. Abuse is any mistreatment of a person through actions or words where harm is done, visible or invisible. From small things to very significant things. And so in this household... Abraham and Sarah and now Hagar in this household, abuse is getting ready to occur. Verses five and six says this. Then Sarah said to Abraham, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant. She treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me, 
Abraham replied. Look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. So Hagar, as we're looking through this story, finally felt so abused, so frustrated, so alone that she said, I've had it. I'm done. I'm leaving. I've got to get out of here. And you may know exactly what that feels like. You may know exactly what it feels like to be left alone, to feel like nobody understands you. Who could she relate to? Who could she possibly go talk to? She couldn't talk to Abraham because then Sarah's going to get upset. She couldn't talk to Sarah because Sarah was upset with her. So she was very much alone. And you may have found yourself at that place in life, alone and mistreated and abandoned. And even if you haven't, even if you think, well, I, I can't relate to that monster of abuse, you may not be able to, but you know someone who can you know someone that you can take what you're going to hear tonight and say, hey, maybe you need to do this. Maybe you need to take this step. Because all of us want to be able to share what's happened to us in life, the good and the bad. Author Frank Warren sent out 3,000 postcards or gave them out in different ways. And his instruction was simple. He gave them to anonymous people and he said, anonymously share a secret that you've never told anyone before. And those secrets eventually became the website postsecret.com and he eventually published two books where people would write on these postcards and mail them in. And here, here's just a few of them. Some of them are actually kind of funny, things that people confess that nobody knows about, like this first one. I give decaf to customers who are rude to me. So, you know, don't make your barista upset or you never know what might happen. Or, or this one. I got a parking citation, and so did the car next to me. I replaced the ticket on the car next to me with mine. My ticket got paid. And the one I took, I mailed it to Post Secret. But some of them are much more in-depth than that, and much deeper than that. I wonder if one day I'm going to be hurt as badly as I hurt you. Part of me knows I deserve it. And then the next one. When I was in the fourth grade, a new kid moved into our neighborhood. He was, he was a charismatic leader who quickly became popular. Soon after, he convinced two of my friends to pin me to the ground and hold my, open my eyelids. They took turns spitting into my eyes. He'd never told anybody that before. And then this one. I don't tell anyone what happened because they'd never believe he'd do something like that. Maybe you're dealing with something deep inside and you think, how can I get past this? How can I get past the abuse that I've dealt with in life? And in, in, in this book, My Secret, the, the author writes, I've been inspired by the stories they've told me, stories that began with a secret and end with hope. Began with a secret, they start to tell the secret, and then hope comes. So whatever your story is today, whether you're a young person who's made some mistakes, you wish you could go back, or you're holding a secret that makes you feel ashamed, or you just can't get past what you did or what someone did to you, you need to know that there's hope. You need to know that, that in the middle of mistakes, in the middle of whatever could have been done to you, that you could have an encounter with God. 
I'm going to unpack what that means. But here's the bottom line today. Your most painful experience with others can lead to your most personal encounter with God. So how can a painful experience set me up to, to have an encounter with God? Well, here's how it played out with Hagar. So she ran into the desert, and in verse 7, we pick her story up, where it says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness, along the road to Shur. God found her. And one thing that this verse can give you confidence in is that God knows where you are. You can't run far enough to get away from him. He knows where you are. My family and I, there's four of us, and we have the Friend Finder app. Anybody have the Friend Finder app? If you have kids with uh, smartphones, you've got to have the Friend Finder app or something like it, because you can tell where they are at all times. As, well, you can tell where their phone is at all times. So that gives you a good estimation of where they might be, hopefully. But we, we have in our family because uh, it just helps us find out where each other are, not really to check up on everybody, but just to say, okay, she's here, he'll be home at this time. It's just good to know. Well, God always knows where you are. Whether you're in the desert, hurting, it doesn't matter. God knows exactly where you are. And he found Hagar in the middle of the wilderness. She was lost and she was out of place. And abuse will make you feel that way. Abuse will make you feel like you don't fit. Abuse will make you feel the insecurities that keep you from using your gifts that God has given you. Abuse will make you feel insecure at every turn and like you don't really have any good options. And this word, sure, which is the road she was on, it simply means wall. I would imagine she felt like she was up against a wall, mistreated with no good choices. And then this angel speaks and says, Hagar. This angel from God, this was God speaking through this angel, says her name. And if you've ever felt like nobody cares, nobody knows, doesn't make a difference, God knows your name. I mean, Hagar started at the bottom. She would have had to sell herself to, the, to Abraham and Sarah because she needed work. And then she ends up doing what her master asks. She gets pregnant. And then she gets abused and so she leaves. And she had to think, nobody knows, nobody understands, what am I going to do? But with all the people on the earth, God still came to her and said, Hagar. And with 7 billion people on the planet, whatever you're going through, God can come to you and say your name. He knows your name. Who's, who's really good with names? Well, how about who's not so good with names? Like remembering names. I, I'm, I was trying to think, well, how good am I at names? Uh, I'm probably about 50-50. Uh, sometimes I remember, and when I remember, people are like, wow, I'm impressed. And I'm like, well, you know, that's what I do. And when I don't remember, I'm like, uh, hey, man, <laughs> how you doing, buddy? Hey, how's it going? And I'd never say the name. But God never forgets. He never messes up on a name. He's not 50-50. He's 100%. He knows your name. In fact, in Isaiah 49, verse 16, it says this. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. I have to confess, when I was in high school, I would write things on the palm of my hand. It wasn't people's names. 
It was to maybe help me long on a test, which don't do that because it really in the long run doesn't help you at all. It actually hurts you. But, but God has your name written on the palms of his hands. He knows who you are. So the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she replied. See, God not only knows your name, God, God sees where you're going. And it's not that God was saying, where have you been? I cannot figure out where have you been? Where have you been? I want to know. It's not that he wanted the information because he didn't know where she had been. I think he says that and asks that question because he wants her to say it out loud. He wants her to process what has happened to her. He wants her to say, I'm running from my mistress. I've been abused in the house where I lived and I'm, I'm running and I'm trying to get away from it. Maybe, is it. maybe it is that God knows that the first step to healing is verbalizing what happened to you. To say it out loud. To write it down like you saw in these postcards. Getting it out Maybe that's what will start the process for your healing. That will definitely start the process of getting it out into the light. I know this. I've lived this. I, I have actually lived through abuse as a child. And I can remember as I became an adult and I started to really process all of that stuff and how am I going to deal with this and talking to friends, talking to counselors, trying to figure it out. And healing started the moment I could say I was abused. I was abused, and that's when healing started, when I was able to speak those words. See, when you thought you were alone and nobody cared, God knew. God knew you. God knew your name, and God knew what happened. Now, the next question would be, well, if God knew what happened, and God is all love, then why didn't God stop that from happening to me? I don't know. I, I'm, I don't have an answer for that. Anybody that does is pure speculation. Why does God allow that to happen? If God is always everywhere, why would he allow that? I don't know. But one thing is for sure, in the middle of Hagar's pain, God showed up. In the middle of your pain, he will show up. And we have a choice. We can either look at God and say, God, why did you allow something like that to happen to me? Because you're supposed to be all-knowing and all-loving and be everywhere at the same time. Why didn't you stop it? Because you're all-powerful. We have the choice. We can say that, or we can look at the mountain of evidence that proves that God is a loving, graceful, merciful God that will give second chance after second chance and will that, that will rescue us in the middle of our pain and restore us to the person that he knows we can be. I choose to focus on the God that I can find the evidence of his love and compassion, the God that hears every cry, the God that understands every emotion that we deal with, especially those innocent ones who are abused. The reality is we share the planet with some pretty nasty people that do some really bad things things, nasty things, cruel things. And when there's people like that in the world, bad things are going to happen. They're going to do bad things to other people. 
Now, if I was in charge, I would just say, God, could you send a lightning bolt to this place and make it one of the really painful lightning bolts, like where they feel it? That's what I would do and say, just zap them and then go zap the next one and go zap the next one. But, but I'm not in charge and that's not the way it happens. But I do believe that one day God is going to deal with all those who inflict pain on the helpless and the innocent. I believe that's why it's so important that you not let the bad things that may have happened to you stay deep down inside in secret. It's so important that you don't keep them in the dark, that you start to say the words, I was abused or I am being abused and you just get it out because eventually they're gonna come out in one way or another. Have you ever heard the saying, hurt people hurt people? What that says is when somebody's hurt, there's a high likelihood that they will become someone who hurts others. But I want to add to that. Hurt people who heal don't have to hurt people. So you have a choice. Get it out into the open and start to talk about it. Or be a person who just keeps the cycle going over and over and over again. You can break the cycle simply by shining some light on the monster of abuse. And just a word to potential abusers. Maybe, maybe you know that you're, that you're abusing somebody else. What you need to know is nothing is hidden from God's sight. Nothing and you need to know that forgiveness comes through confession. And you need to tar- start taking the steps in that direction. So the rest of Hagar's time in the desert goes like this. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. See, not only does God see where I've been, God sees where I am going. God sees where I'm going, and by that he's saying, you're not alone, you're not forgotten, you're not ignored. I hear you. See, this is important. You either need this, or you need to tell somebody this that you know has dealt with abuse. Because when we deal with abuse, especially abuse when, uh, uh, when we were children, or abuse of the past, we have a choice. Are we going to be the, the person? So here, here was me when I was having to deal with abuse and the memory of it. So my choice was, am I going to be the me that was abused? The me that was insecure? The me that felt like a victim? The me that felt guilty? At some point, I had to make the decision. I, that's not the me that God wants me to be. And I'm not going to let this me, the what happened to me, me, I'm not going to let that me determine who I am now and who I'm going to become in the future. And healing will only start when you can look at the me, the person that that happened to, and say, that person, that thing, whatever happened to me is not going to determine who I am today. It's not going to determine who I become in the future. And healing will only start when you're able to stop being the victim, when you're able to stop feeling the guilt, 
When you're able to say the words out loud and leave that person behind and be the person that God created you to be. And for many people, it just starts with saying the words, I was abused. And God is saying to Hagar, I saw you back there. I I saw that happening to you. And I found you here in your distress. And I have a plan for the future. And then Hagar refers to God. If you heard it in Hebrew, she referred to God in a way that is not in the Old Testament anywhere else. In Genesis 16, verse 13, she says this, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? What she's saying is, God, you see me. You know what I'm going through. You understand. You understand what's going on and, and Could I have just seen the God who sees me? And you can see that little bit of hope coming into her saying, you are truly the God who sees me. You know me. You want to heal me. You don't want me to be defined by what happened to me. And you're giving me this future. I have seen the God who sees me. After one of our services this morning, lady came down front to talk to me and she had this tattoo right here and she said you know what that is she said that's hebrew for the god who sees me and you know i heard a little bit of a story and you know why she had that so if you're dealing with abuse in your life or you're trying to get past an abuse from the past then what you need to know is god sees you And God wants you to see a future that only he can give you. And for you, if taking the first step means, hey, I want to go talk to my pastor. He's dealt with abuse in his life, so I want to talk to him. My email address is on the back of the program. Email me. Come and talk to me. I'll share my whole story with you if you want to hear it. I want to hear yours, and I want to help you take that first step, even if you've never told anybody before, and you feel like, hey, I can talk to him, Come and talk to me, and I'll help point you in a direction, the same journey I went on that led to healing. So if you're willing to do that, please do it, because your most painful experience with others can lead to your most personal encounter with God. That happened in my life, and it can happen in yours. Let's pray. God is people here that have dealt with abuse, especially the ones that have left it in the dark, struggle with the next steps to take, I pray you'd give them the courage just to reach out and speak to whoever you're leading them to speak to. God, and for those of us who have friends that have dealt with abuse in their life, I pray that you would help us have words that can lead them towards healing. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.